I have some exciting news to announce. Calling My Shots is back. And on this week's episode, we have an action-packed show for you. We're going to start off with a little bit of World Series talk. Then we'll transition into some double coverage where we break down college football and the NFL. And we'll end the show with your favorite hockey segment, Puck Me. So with that being said, roll the intro. Making their way to the ring, the reigning, defending podcast champs, calling my shots. There's only one way you can take this, and it's in that ring. Who wants to go toe-to-toe with the champs? This is calling my shots. I have a announcement to make. There is a new co-host of Calling My Shots. I'm really hoping that Cliff will come back sometime, but you know, he's kind of transitioned and moved on to different things, which is great. But our new co-host has actually been on the show before. Yes, his name is Zach Taylor. And no, we're not talking about the Bengals head coach, Zach how do you feel about becoming the new co-host of Call My Shots? Man, I'm excited. I'm glad to be here. I think I'm a little bit more excited than uh, the real Zach Taylor is right now, even though he's got Joe Burrow. <laughs> yeah, you know, hopefully he'll figure it out eventually. But without them having an offensive line, there's really not too much he can do, honestly. Man, that AFC North is just brutal. I mean, that's not the division you want to be rebuilding a team in. So, But yeah, I'm excited to be here. Let's rock this. Besides maybe the NFC West, it might be the best, probably the second best division in the National Football League. So let's first get some things out of the way, you know, just so all the viewers know. Let's talk about your favorite sports teams. That way I can hold that against you from here on out. Uh, yeah, so no promise on any non-bias, but I'm a, I'm a hardcore Ole Miss Rebel fan, hottie toddy baby in uh, college sports. NFL, I'm from Mississippi, so you kind of always cheer for players. Now that Eli's retired, Eli Manning, that is, I'm just kind of just kind of a, a non-partial observer, so to speak. That's smart that you stop cheering for the Giants, considering how terrible they are as a franchise now. Uh, yeah, well, uh, the cool thing is, I think it's a little petty, but all those people that wanted to blame Eli for losing all those games realized that he kind of kept what little glue and what little cohesion they had together. But yeah, they are awful. And I'll try uh, not to hold you being an Ole Miss fan against you. I mean, they haven't been relevant since like 2010. So, I mean, I, I don't know what a South Carolina fan means by relevance, but a Sugar Bowl in 15 is not too bad. Uh, one of only three teams to beat Alabama more than twice last decade. So, or twice. Hey, South Carolina was another one at home. Stephen Garcia, the drunk man himself. Oh, for sure. I remember that in 2010, but you only beat him once to my recollection. Ole Miss That's beat him twice. That's about the only thing Ole Miss has going for it is they tend to play Alabama pretty tough and DK Metcalf. AJ Brown's not too bad himself, you know. Yeah, I tried to get him in fantasy in a couple of leagues and it, it just didn't work out. So, uh, yeah, big Ole Miss fan, nonpartisan NFL fan, uh, hockey I love me some New York Rangers. Let's go Rangers. I know you're a big Rangers guy yourself there, Mr. Pittsburgh, so we can yeah. agree on that, right? Yeah, it pains me that the Rangers actually look pretty good now because we've dominated for them for so long. So, Dominated 
Okay, maybe. I can't wait to talk some hockey to kind of give you some education there, sir. But I respect Believe it or not, the last time the last time Zach was on the show, we actually talked quite a bit of hockey and I will give him credit. His Stanley Cup pick was correct. I doubted it. All I can say is I did take the lightning. Uh, I believe I said they were going to beat Vegas or the Blues, and um, obviously the Dallas Stars won out. But I will say this. I think that the lightning were just too talented. Like the old cliche says, man, cream rises to the top. When you got more superstars and good players than you do fingers on both your hands, you got a pretty good team. It's an interesting analogy. I like it. Hopefully we'll we'll hear more of this going forward. So let's begin touching base this week. We had arguably some of the craziest playoffs we've ever seen in Major League Baseball due to the expanded format. And then we just watched last night at the time that we're recording this, the Los Angeles Dodgers won their first World Series. And I think it was like 32 years. 1988. Absolutely. Yeah, that was. So there's uh, also there's there's some controversy surrounding last night's game with Kevin Cash, I say we should just immediately discuss that because it's such a hot topic. And I am under the impression that Kevin Cash blew the game last night. Dalton, would you call yourself an analytics guy? I'm a big analytics guy. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's fair. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an analytics guy. I'm kind of in the middle. There's a time and a place for it. Um, Can it get you favorable matchups? Yes, absolutely. But Man, it's just hard to see, and it's not just cash. Man, every team did this all postseason. You got a guy, whether it be a starter or maybe a reliever, just mowing guys down and just having no trouble, and then he gives a one-base hit, and then the manager, like, freaks out and says, oh, well, the analytics says I have to take him out and yanks him. Man, I just – maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm just old hat, but if Blake Snell, your ace, is mowing guys down – you have former, to be in. Former Cy Young winner. Exactly. Do you do, do you not agree? What do you say, Mr. Analytics? So here's what I will say. Analytics can work. We've seen it work with Joe Madden winning the World Series in 2016 with the Chicago Cubs. So because of that, I'm a believer that you can get it, you can get it done. However, in last night's situation, if you have a guy that has only thrown 73 pitches and is a former Cy Young winner and absolutely dominated arguably the best lineup in baseball, I feel like you have to let that inning play out. At some point, you got to ditch analytics and just make an in-game judgment call. And that's where, in some ways, I can't blame him for wanting to stick with the system. But I think what people aren't talking about is the pitcher that he brought in to replace Snell. I think Nick Anderson actually had a pretty terrible World Series. So he was great during the playoffs and up until that point. But in all of the games that he appeared in during this World Series, he looked pretty shaky. So that's to me where I think that Cash deserves a lot of scrutiny for because Anderson hasn't looked that good. If he would have brought in maybe Castillo or Fairbanks, I would have said, okay, more reasonable move. But because he brought in Anderson – I think he blew the game last night. You know, Fairbanks came in there later on in the game. I believe he came in there inheriting some base runners and just shut the door, man. He's Fairbanks is I watched him pitch in the Yankees series in the ALCS and man, he just shut the door. Um yep. 
I think everything you said is right. And again, maybe even taking it strictly by the numbers, he played the more favorable option. But man, I, I'm just if my guy's rolling him down, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna die on that hill. You you can't convince me that one base hit is gonna determine that his afternoon should be up, you know. Yeah. I mean it was it was tragic to watch because not only what I think also happened was when he pulled Snell, it just brought bad karma to the team and it just kind of ruined that entire dugout's mood. So you could yeah. say that, okay, the Rays only scored one run, but I think the fact that they pulled, that Cash pulled Snell out of the game, I think it just kind of ruined the entire vibe of that dugout. And I think had they let Snell in, they might have been able to manufacture more runs because the team was more into it. I think that just kind of blew the entire mood for everyone, and it's hard to recover in a big situation like that. For sure. I, everything you said is correct, and I, and I have no argument with that. I think that the team kind of looked deflated, knowing that, man, our guy went out there and did everything he had, and it just it just wasn't rewarded, so to speak. Um, I think that's fair to say they were deflated. Well, tell me this. Does this change your perception of, of cash? No. I mean, I still look at it as they had the lowest payroll in baseball, and he still brought them to the World Series. To me, that's a hell of an accomplishment, and there's not many other coaches in the league that can do that. And, I mean, the offense has some to blame here as well. They definitely fell apart throughout this series. Yes, on paper you're correct. But I think you're selling short how good this Dodgers team was. This team far and away had the best record in baseball. They were down 3-1 to Atlanta and battled back. You look at that lineup, 1-9, through there is not an easy out in that lineup. Are you just saying that to try to justify the Braves choking as hard as they did? I'm not. The Braves choked. They did. Not going to argue there. But I'm saying, man. Yeah, what's it What's it like to be a Braves fan? Oh, just about like being an Ole Miss fan. Just have just a little bit of hope. Get your hopes up and then just shh, letting the air out of your sails. Atlanta's cursed, man. They're cursed. But seriously, there is not a weak spot in that Los Angeles lineup. There is not a weak spot in that top three pitching rotation for the Dodgers. Their bullpen's really good. The only thing that people had a question of coming into this postseason was Canley Jansen. And, man, he looked good. I mean, he he had spots where he was a little shaky, but he got the job done and he shut the door when they needed it the most. This Dodgers team was the best team in baseball. They had the most talent and everything. but Can't, can't argue with that. They just went out and won the games. I don't think that's selling anything short on Tampa's part. I will say that Dave Roberts actually coached his best game last night or letting Urias, or however the hell you say it, close the game out for rather than bringing in Jansen because Jansen, to me, is was the weakest part of that team. And the fact that he stuck with Urias, I think that's why they ended up winning last night. See, that's where I would want to see what the analytics say because I'm sure they – because Urias pitched several innings, right? He he got multiple batters out. I'm sure the analytics were screaming, "Oh, you've got to take him out. You've got a lefty pitcher. You've got a lefty hitter coming up. We need to throw a right-handed pitcher in there." You know, I'm just curious with that. But but no, Dave Roberts managed the game perfectly last night, and I thought he managed it pretty well for the whole series. Yeah, he had one major collapse. I think it was in Game Four, where a lot of people were questioning some of the moves that he made, but. At the end of the day, they win the World Series. You can't really bash them anymore. And it's the same thing with Clayton Kershaw. I, I'm happy for him. 
I think he deserves to have a ring. He's the best pitcher of our lifetime. And now he just solidified his Hall of Fame resume. Best pitcher of our lifetime. Who's better? How old are you? 25. Okay. So in your lifetime, you had Roger Clemens pitch. Yep. You had Pedro Martinez. You had yep. Greg Maddox. You had Randy Johnson. I mean, I just named you four 300-game winners there. And you're going to say Kershaw is just far and away head over heels better than all three of them, all four of those? Yes. Look at his earned run average over his career. Now that he's won a World Series, he still has some years left to continue to build upon his resume. And I think it's hard to really look at these guys like Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens because I was so young when most of them were in their prime. So in terms of the baseball that I've watched and from what I've seen in recent years, it's easily Kershaw. I don't know that I wouldn't argue that Verlander's better than him. You can make you can make the argument for Verlander just because of his how good he's been in the postseason for a long time. Okay, perfect. Glad you brought that up because that was my next question. Okay, so you're going to say Kershaw is the best pitcher of our generation. So you're telling me that if you have a game seven tomorrow, winner take all game, you're going to give him the ball. Yeah, with the if you look at his recent playoff starts in the World Series, for example, he gave up one run in both of his outings. To me, shows that he's been able to perform in big moments. It was earlier on in his career where he was a little bit shaky in the postseason. But if you actually look at his numbers over the last few times they've been in the playoffs, he's pitched incredibly well. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll say this. For the people that are saying Clayton Kershaw is a choker, he's not a choker. He's not. All you got to do is look at his numbers. He is not a guy that I would want to give the ball to. And and I've got some some records here that I'm going to show you. So Clayton Kershaw, and obviously there are some pitchers that I'm leaving out, big names, but their sample size was not big enough to bring up in this example. So Clayton Kershaw in his career is 13-12 and 12 in the postseason. Not great, but pretty good. He's got a winning record. Listen to some of these other records. Pedro Martinez, 6-4. and four. Randy Johnson, 7-9. and nine. Greg Maddox, 11-14. and 14. Tom Glavin, 14-16. and 16. Justin Verlander, 14 and 11. So Zach, I just, you're making you're making my case for me. I appreciate it. Hold on. <laughs> so I just named you a bunch of Hall of Famers. And yes, Clayton Kershaw has better numbers than those guys. However, if the Atlanta Braves, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Boston Red Sox had a one-game dire situation to win, they did not give the ball to Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Tom Glavin, or Greg Maddox. The Boston Red Sox gave it to Kurt Schilling. Who was vastly underrated? He was eleven Agreed. and two in the postseason. Eleven Agreed. and two in the postseason. Chilling John to be Smoltz, in the Hall of Fame for sure. John Smoltz, fifteen and four. Fifteen and four. Now he's not a three hundred game winner because he went and started closing games for Atlanta. He does have a hundred saves. He's the only pitcher in history to have two hundred wins and a hundred saves. But if there was a big game to win, all you got to do is go back and watch Game 7 of the 1991 World Series when John Smoltz pitched nine shutout innings and lost because they pulled him in extra innings. What I'm saying by bringing up these guys is just because you dominate in the regular season and put up all these numbers like these other guys did does not make you the man in the postseason. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not making, I'm not making the argument that Kershaw is the best postseason pitcher because he's not. But what I'm saying is – 
for his entire career, regular season and postseason, I think you have a pretty convincing argument to say Kershaw is the best pitcher of our lifetime. Okay, that's fair. I'll give you that. I'm just telling you, I'd still give the ball to Madison Bumgarner tomorrow. He's eight and three. I've never seen a better pitching performance than when he won those two games. I think it was 14 in the World Series and still came in and shut the door on game seven. And Verlander's got a better record. He's 14 and 11 in the postseason. I'm just saying, I'm I'm, I'm fine with Kershaw. He's for sure a Hall of Famer. But to say that, like, oh, my gosh, he's the greatest pitcher, I don't know. If I, I mean, it's – but it's, it's close. There's some there's some other pitchers that you could throw into the mix. For example, Garrett Cole, call me biased, but he's still in his prime, and he might not have looked as good as he did with the Astros this year, but in the playoffs, he pitched incredibly well. And I think he's just going to continue to build upon that. But you also have guys like Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer, who I think you could throw into the mix. Sure, that's fair. That's fair. And and to be honest, some of these guys, their sample size in the playoffs was not big enough that I thought he was even worth mentioning. I think Roy Holiday only had six playoff starts in his career. Excuse me, six playoff decisions in his career. Um, but at the same time, I still think that you, when you have a big enough sample size like that, it certainly should play into your selection. What does suck, though, is that L.A. won two championships this year. Not really a, a huge fan of large market teams doing well, especially in baseball. So it's going to take me a little bit to get over this. But one question I want to ask you, Zach, do you think that Randy Arozarena is now the best player in baseball? Has he taken that leap just from what we've seen in the playoffs? I would argue yes. I haven't seen a player dominate the postseason the way that he has and how clutch he is in the World Series. It's just tragic for Rays fans that they're going to lose them to the Yankees, Dodgers, or Red Sox in like three years. Oh, you just crushed the hearts and minds of Tampa Bay fans everywhere there, Captain. I mean, look, the kid had a phenomenal postseason. He's going to be in history forever for hitting all these hits and home runs, RBIs, everything. I mean, he literally put his team on his back in that ALCS and tried his damnness to do it in the World Series. I'm going to wait to say he's the best player in baseball, at least give me one more year to make that call. But, man, this kid, his ceiling is incredible. He's going to be good for a long time, or at least he should be. The Sultan of SWAT is definitely looking down on him right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's smiling. So, another question. Do you believe that Tyler Glass now is overrated? Because personally, with the way he pitched in the playoffs, and that oh, that's the other thing that I need to go on a rant on about Kevin Cash. Why would you leave Glass now in for, I think it was 113 pitches, but pull Blake Snell, who is a much better pitcher, with 73? To me, that was a jackass decision, and that really kind of hurts how he managed this entire World Series. Can't argue with that. The analytics, I'm not sure what they told him with Glasnow in there, but, man, I agree. I mean, he had no... After leaving Glasnow in there all that time, man, why why in the world would you pull Blake Snell? This goes back to your argument 10 minutes ago. It just makes no sense. But, uh, man, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Glasnow didn't get it done. But, again, you're talking about the best lineup money can buy in Los Angeles. They uh, People want to harp on the Yankees, and, and they rightly so. They do buy a lineup. But what do you think the Dodgers always do? They do the same thing. Right. That's why, yes, they still won the World Series. To me – Still not that impressive, and we could go on a whole rant about how 
there needs to be a salary cap in baseball. The only thing that I'm questioning now that the Rays just lost this World Series is, is it even possible for a small to mid-market team to dethrone some of these large market teams and actually win a World Series? I don't know if it's possible. And for that, I think we have to implement a salary cap. Well, there is a a soft salary cap. Yeah, it's it's not. It doesn't really count. uh, I mean, mean, you uh, you just pay a little bit more in the luxury tax and you can buy whoever you want. Yeah, it's not it's not a hard cap. Okay, I got you. But yes, um, I think it is possible, but it's got to be the perfect storm. I think that this race team had a pretty good shot. And who knows if if Snell is left in there there. You never know. Baseball's finicky. It only takes one swing to take the lead and and whatever. I, I think it could happen. I mean, sure. But but it's obviously I mean, I wouldn't say it's like NCAA basketball one versus 16 seed, but it's definitely that uh, 314 game. I mean, you got a team that's got all the money in the world versus a team that looks like they're struggling to pay their electric bill. So, I mean, I <laughs> yeah. use that in total uh, just jokingly fashion because obviously the Rays can pay their electric bill, but they're very tight with their spending. Barely. Can we start a petition for the Rays to build a new ballpark? Come on. I mean, it's one of the best franchises in major league baseball and they have the shittiest stadium or ballpark in the league. And it's not even close. If they would have done this in another year, non 2020, no COVID, I can't say with 100% certainty, and this sounds asinine, but I can't say with 100% certainty that they would have sold out even in the World Series. Probably not. One last I mean, quick thing on uh, on baseball. What do you think about the expanded or the three-game wild card series? There's been talks in the next CBA to leave that as a permanent thing. I I believe they should. To me, a one-game wild card game is just – they play 162 games and get hosed over in one game. It needs to stay with the three-card series. More entertaining. The fans tended to enjoy it a lot more. I hope that they continue with this new format rolling forward. Well, the whole reason they do this one-game playoff is because in 1978, um, the Yankees and the Red Sox tied complete exact ties for the record during the season. And back then – just the winner of the East Division played the winner of the West Division in just the ALCS. There were no divisional rounds. And so they had a one-game playoff, and it generated all these TV ratings. And so that's what baseball is trying to recreate with these wildcard games. But I think what you said is fair. I don't necessarily think that if a – we'll just make up a purely hypothetical situation here. If the Pirates won the Central Division and the Cardinals finished with one game back, let's say they were – you know, the Braves a couple years ago won 103 ball games and finished second to the Phillies, I guess more than a couple years ago. It'd be like 10 years ago. But what I'm saying is, is they had the second best record in baseball and then they played that one game playoff game against a really hot wild card team, but with probably 25 less wins than them. It's it's not fair, but you know what? I mean, you still got to go win the game. So I think the expanded playoffs is actually a good thing. I think it'll give more teams a chance to win. And baseball is not like basketball. You're going to have some chances with these lower seeds to upset these top seeds. Absolutely. Also, a huge emphasis on the hypothetical of the, the Pirates winning the NL Central. Oh, for the sure. Day, the day that happens, I, I will shit a brick. Well, we, we, we know that's not going to happen in the next <laughs> seven years. So It's depressing. I don't want to talk about it. Moving on. 
some double coverage this week. Let's talk about some college football. The Big Ten is back. Penn State lost to Indiana. What a great way to kick off the league. Wisconsin looks great. What are your thoughts, Zach? Man, the end of that Penn State-Indiana game was nuts. I turned it over just in time to see Penn State score in overtime and then watch Indiana score. And, if guys, if you have not seen that two-point conversion, you need to go watch it. I mean, the guy jumps from, like, the five-yard line and stretches out the ball on the left out of bounds, and it looks like it touches the pylon and the out of bounds sideline at the same time. It was incredible. I think they got the ruling on the field right. I think Indiana deserved to win that football game. Um, one thing that actually broke today is that Wisconsin's quarterback is going under a 21 day quarantine, and their game 21 days is canceled this weekend. Yes, the Big Ten's quarantine is 21 days, that's which ridiculous. is yeah, going to really, yeah. So there will be no Wisconsin game this weekend, unfortunately. Um, I know we got to watch them a little bit last weekend, but uh, yeah, we're just going to have to wait a little while to watch them play again. Which is which is a shame because Wisconsin actually has a good quarterback for the first time since like Russell Wilson. Yeah. So let's let's do a couple of previews for some of the the big games coming up. Starting out with Georgia versus Kentucky. To me, I think this is going to be a blowout. Don't really see how Kentucky stays in this game. Stetson, the new Georgia quarterback, somehow looks the part, and Georgia has the best defense in the SEC. You know, these guys were picking him apart against Alabama because he had a rough second half. He looked pretty decent in the first half. Alabama's defense it is obviously not what it was in 2011. They're really good. They're still full of NFL players. They're going to be really good. You know, this game's got a 14-and-a-half-point spread. It is in Lexington. I mean, I think it's about right. Kentucky can be feisty. I think Georgia is about a two-touchdown better team than Kentucky. Yeah, I think Terry Wilson is incredibly overrated. Kentucky fans might hate me for this, but I really don't see what the big hype is about this guy. I mean, he's been very mediocre from what I've seen. I mean, they were a missed extra point from beating Ole Miss. They had some weird stuff going on with Auburn, who, by the way, is the luckiest team in God's green earth. You know who um, beat Auburn? South who? Carolina. Not really saying much because, to me, I think Auburn's very overrated this year, and Gus Malzahn yeah. might lose his job. Just letting you bask in that glory. What do you What do you think about um, this Clemson-BC game? Clemson's a 31-point favorite in this thing. Is there any reason to watch this game? Well, I think BC covers. You think so? 31? Easily. They're, what, like 4-1 and one this year? Mm-hmm. 4-2. Four 4-2. Two. Two. They don't look too bad from the games that I've seen. 31 points is a lot. We saw Syracuse kind of hang with Clemson for the first three quarters last week. It'll be an interesting game for a little while, but Clemson just has far superior talent. Man, they're Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence, they're, these guys are just good, man. I mean, I don't know. So they do play Notre Dame, number four Notre Dame, on November the 7th. I think that's going to be the next big game to look forward to. We'll really find out a lot about Notre Dame at that time, too, because that's really the only big game they've got left. They do play UNC um, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, but we'll see. I think uh, Clemson's good. I know you like Clemson, too. I can't stand the Clemson Tigers. No doubt about it. If I see orange, it makes me sick. I want to throw up. Purple's just as bad. Fire Will Musgrave. 
how much longer is he going to stick around there? Oh, with Ray Tanner as the athletic director, they'll probably give him another six years with a ridiculous buyout of about $40 million, and Will Muskramp will forever be the Gamecocks head coach at this rate. What he does is he's a mediocre coach that wins one big game a year, and South Carolina is just going to reward him for that. And if South Carolina wants to continue to be a mediocre program, then sure, Muskramp, emphasis on the cramp, should remain the head coach. Is the honeymoon over there? Absolutely. It sounds bad, but I've been pulling against us this year just because we need a new head coach. I think the players give up on him. I don't think the culture there is great, and his clock management and in-game management is atrocious. Yeah, for sure. His his so-called defense, who has gotten absolutely gashed just about every single week this year, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Another game that's intriguing to me this weekend is this Texas-Oklahoma State game. What do you think about Oklahoma State so far? Well, mullet Mike Gundy is probably the most underrated coach in college football. To me, they're the only team that really has a chance in the in the Big 12. I could see them you know, maybe losing a couple of games, but to me, they're really the only shot that the Big 12 has of a, of a playoff team. They've surprised so they, me. They've surprised me overall. Yeah. They've got a defense, man. Their defense is, is probably one of the best Big 12 defenses I've ever seen. Saying a lot for that conference. Chuba Hubbard is, is a legit Heisman candidate at running back. We're going to find a lot about them the next three weeks because their next three games are Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. So we'll, we'll find State's out about Oklahoma State. They're ranked. I mean, I think they're in the 20s, I believe. But, uh, but yeah, man, we'll, we'll find out about Oklahoma State. I think they're for real. Yeah. Do I think they can beat Clemson and Alabama? Eh, probably not. But do I think they're legitimately a top-five team in the country? Yeah, possibly. Kansas State and Oklahoma State are really the only two teams that have a chance in the Big 12 this year. People forget that Kansas State's coach, who they hired from North Dakota State, is only in year number two, I believe. And so he's really showing that he's a hell of a coach and can really turn a program around. For sure. They won – what they win, like five out of the six national championships – uh, I'll have to double check, but yes, he had those jackrabbits at North Dakota State just prime and running. I mean, you got your boy Carson Wentz up in Philadelphia. I mean, yeah, the, the guy knows how to coach football. So, next game, we have Ohio State versus Penn State. Does Penn State bounce back from that terrible loss, or are we going to see the Nittany Lions drop to 0 and 2? You know, this is uh, a weird game. Ohio State's a 12 point favorite on the road which is always kind of a red flag. But home field advantage doesn't have that much um, influence this year, obviously, with the no crowd. So right. um, I think Penn State's a good football team, but, I, I mean, I think I think Ohio State's pretty good. I think they'll roll pretty easily in this. Yeah, Penn State's quarterback looked absolutely terrible last week. I think he threw like three interceptions. And Justin Fields is, besides Trevor Lawrence, maybe the second-best quarterback in the country. He's good. So then we have Florida – taking on Missouri. Missouri got off to a rough start, but over the last two weeks, they really look like they've kind of turned it around. In Florida, I had picked them to win the entire SEC before this year. So obviously I was very disappointed when they lost to Texas A&M. But to me, they still have one of the best offenses in the SEC with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts. Their defense just needs to play a little bit better. And I think Florida can contend with anyone in the SEC. 
They for sure do. I, I think that, uh, you know, Mullen is a really good coach. And I think that, um, you know, they've had some COVID issues. And Texas A&M is not a bad football team. I mean, obviously, Florida is probably a little bit better and should have won that game. But uh, I think that they just – man, it just seemed like they could never get anything going against these guys. I know I saw today where they had um, – I believe six current cases and their October total was like 25 or something. It was just astronomical. You know, these guys, Mullen's a hell of a coach. Mullen is good about getting two and three stars and pitching them up to play at high levels. I'm, I'm really thinking that you give him another year. This is only year three and he's already in the top five in the country or he was, I know that they fell off. Um, I think they're, you know, right around uh, 10 or so, but man, yeah, they're, they're going to be really good. good. They're going to be good for a while. The thing about this year, though, is I believe it's Dan Mullen's best chance to win the SEC. And they've been slowly getting better, and he's now in year number three. So I had really high hopes for him. And if they don't win the SEC East, I'm going to start questioning how good of a coach he is. Why is that? One, they have an easier schedule than Georgia because Georgia had to play Alabama. And if they can't beat Georgia this year – then I don't know if he's as elite as coaches like Kirby Smart. Maybe even we'll see from Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. And they just call Kirby Smart an elite football coach. They're consistently ranked in the top five every single year. They go to the SEC championship. They've dominated the SEC East for the last like five years now. Kirby Smart is an elite recruiter. And obviously that plays a big role in it. But let me let me tell you something. Tennessee has Florida's had some good recruiting classes too, though. So they Tennessee has been nothing the past since 2008. I know Jeremy Pruitt spilled them up a little bit, but Tennessee has been dead for the last 15, 12 to 15 years. Florida, Jim McElwain didn't run that program very well either. Mullen had to come in there and clean some stuff up and get some stuff rolling. I mean you're talking about Missouri played in the SEC championship their first two years in the league. Georgia has had some good years, absolutely. They're the model of consistency in the East. They win a lot of football games. But to say that he's elite, he's not in that elite of Dabo, Nick Saban. He's let not me ask you, let me let me ask you this. If Georgia played in the Big Ten, Big Twelve, or ACC, how many college football playoffs would they have gone to already? If we're talking about nationally, Put Georgia in any one of those conferences with Kirby Smart, and how well do they do? Sure. It's pretty hard when you have to play Alabama. So if you look Agreed. at it nationally, I think that Kirby Smart is an elite coach. Agreed, but you could put you could put three to four teams in the top of the SEC in other conferences every year, and they would dominate. I don't know if that's your best argument, Dalton, because Florida last year went 10-2, and two, and if they wouldn't have had to play Georgia, which was one of their losses, they'd have been 12-0. and 0. So you think – Dan Mullen's an elite coach, but he can't beat Georgia, or we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen it yet. This is his third year coaching. The play and that's fine. Didn't... And all I'm saying is there is a lot of pressure on him this year, and I think he has to beat Georgia for me to really look at him as an elite coach. I don't think that's, he's there yet. That's fair. But, again, you can't – it to judge a coach in year three is is – Sure, it'd be different if he was going six and six, but he's not. He's number ten in the country. They went to a New Year's Six Bowl last year. He's doing pretty good. They're going to be fine. Trust you, Florida's not going anywhere. 
I'm not saying they're not going to be fine. I'm just saying if you're comparing him to Kirby Smart, and Nick Saban, and I know you hate you hate that argument, but he hasn't beaten him yet. And you Kirby's- can say you can say what you want. Florida is an equivalent program to Georgia in terms of the recruits that they can pull in, in terms of their legacy in the SEC East. So he has as fair of a shot as Kirby Smart does. One hundred percent that they are equal. They are both to me top ten jobs in the country. Florida, yep. Georgia are the two best, the two model teams in the SEC East. Yes, I mean if Tennessee was well well run, they would be right there. They're obviously the big three in football, but Kirby Smart didn't walk in with the covered bear. Mark Rick had won ten games since nineteen fifty two when Kirby <laughs> Smart walked in there. Okay, so it's not like he walked in there and just had to rebuild the whole program. Kirby's a fine coach, but there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of Georgia fans that would want to crucify you for saying he's an elite coach. And that's fine. They can do that. South Carolina tends to beat Georgia every single year anyway. So, Well, then, they're, then, <laughs> then Kirby Smart's not elite if he's letting a lowly South Carolina team pummel him every year. <laughs> he's, he's hung in with, with Alabama in a few of the SEC championships. It's coming. I do believe that Kirby Smart will win a national championship with Georgia. I bet Dan Mullen wins one first. We can place that bet. What do you want to I'd put on? i place that bet. We'll do it right now. Dan Mullen's going to win one before Kirby Smart will. $20. You're on. Because Kirby Smart ain't going to win one at Georgia. We'll see what happens. You saw it here first. I'm calling my shots. I am I am very high on Florida this year though, and I did pick them to win the SEC. So we'll I see. But after after losing to Texas A and M, my confidence in them is kind of diminished. They do have a great they have a great offense, but their defense just scares me. And again, I think you are downplaying Texas A and M's abilities as well. They're in the top ten as well. They have one loss, and that was to Alabama. I mean, it's not like they're two and three. Roll it in, trying to get things going they're a pretty good team too maybe so and it's because i've had a pretty bad stigma about texas a&m over the last couple of years and i really don't think kellen mond is a great quarterback but we'll see they they might surprise me this year if they keep it up the only person that thinks kellen mond is a great quarterback is kellen mond he says he's the <laughs> best quarterback in the sec and the other 359 million people that live in the united states know that is not true gotcha so let's move on to a little bit of nfl talk Last week, we had arguably the greatest 1 o'clock games I've ever seen with a ton of crazy endings. We saw Gotzkowski shank the kick, which was great, being a Steelers fan. Also, the NFC East is historically bad. The Falcons just keep reinventing new ways to lose. But what were your what were your thoughts about Week 7 of the NFL? I think the Steelers are really good. They beat a really good Titans team. I wouldn't give up on those Titans just yet. They play good defense, struggle on third down, but Derrick Henry's a beast. Oh, by the way, A.J. Brown's pretty good, too. A.J. Brown is good. Year last year. Uh, and Tannehill is a good, serviceable quarterback. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be fine. Tannehill's in the MVP talks. I think he's more than a, a serviceable quarterback if you look at the numbers he's put up since taking over as the Titans starter. He's, now, they do, have, they do have a really good offensive coordinator in Arthur Smith who will probably get a head coaching job. But if you look at QBR – Tannehill ranks in the top five since taking over as Tennessee's starter. Tannehill's good, but I to put him in the MVP talks a little much for me. He's like number he's like number four or five, but I think he's I think he's definitely in it. Okay, but yeah, boy, it just sucks to be a Falcons fan. I, I just wouldn't know what to do with myself if if 
uh, was a Falcons fan. I unfortunately it's almost as bad as being a Braves fan. Sure. I guess so. The apple, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, you know. My namesake, Zach Taylor, could not take down the Browns this weekend. Um, I think the Bengals. Joe Burrow. Joe, Joe Burrow's great. The offensive line is is the issue there. I still yeah. don't know about Zach Taylor as a coach. We'll see. I'm going to give him a pass this year. But next year, if they don't start winning more games, then it's going to be a cause for concern for his job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who – I tell you, he looks really good, and I'm not a Tom Brady fan, a big one, but the Buccaneers look really good. Oh, by the way, they just signed some former Pittsburgh receiver this week. Is that right? They they can have him. All he's going to do is come in and ruin their locker room so they can have fun with him. I think, I think that's a terrible signing. Antonio Brown is a nightmare to deal with in terms of PR. He kind of sucks the life out of a team. Maybe he's changed, but from what I saw in Pittsburgh, I, I don't trust that at all. So they can like they can have fun with it, and we'll see what happens. It sounds like it's just in time, too, because I, I saw today where Chris Godwin has a broken finger. So I think, Yeah, which uh, sucks because I have him in two fantasy leagues. <laughs> and now with Antonio Brown coming, who knows how the target share is going to look on offense. Yeah. I do, I do agree, though, that the Bucks are probably – they're easily Super Bowl contenders now. Tom Brady's kind of proven a lot of his doubters that he hasn't fallen off the cliff. And they they look great. They have everything rolling. Bruce Arians is still a good coach. That defense is playing well. Their running game is actually pretty formidable with Fournette and Ronald Jones splitting time. You see anybody else in that NFC that can compete with them? With the Bucs? Oh, easily. I think I think the Seahawks, without a doubt. I think the, the Seahawks to me are probably the best team in the NFC. I would actually pick them over the Buccaneers at this current moment. That NFC West is just a bloodbath. The worst team is the 49ers, who are decimated by injuries and are still only one and a half games back of the division. Man, yeah, Kyle, Kyle Shanahan's a great coach. They have been decimated by injuries, but it looks like Garoppolo's kind of steadied himself. Um, I to Speaking of the Seahawks, have you ever seen a better effort play than DK Metcalf running down Buda Baker? That was incredible. It was an amazing play. DK Metcalf is obviously a big team guy, which we like to see. However, I'm a little bit upset about it because I own DK Metcalf in the CMS Fantasy League. And I believe he was probably gassed after that. And he didn't put up a good week in terms of fantasy relevance. Let me say this to all those GMs and all those head coaches and stuff who looked at DK Metcalf's draft you know, status and uh, looked at this guy who ran like this 4.33. He's like 6'4", 230. He did like 27 bench presses, you know, the bench press competition in the combine. But for this guy to go pick 64 in the second round is criminal. Absolutely. Criminal. This guy, his cone drill, his three-cone drill, you know, your agility drill, Tom Brady actually ran a better time than DK Metcalf did. And these scouts looked at him and just thought, oh, my gosh, all this guy is is a big guy. He also had the highest vertical leap of any wide receiver in the combine as well. But they saw, oh, man, he's just he has no agility. Well, I think he's proved them wrong, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, I would argue that DK Metcalf is a top three receiver in the NFL right now. I mean, I'm just looking at this at this draft and and looking at uh, these receivers who, who went before him. You got Marquise Brown you know, out of Oklahoma to the Ravens having a, you know, having him a good. Hey, he's, he's hit or miss. 
It uh, is big playability. Nikhil Harry for the Patriots. I would bust. say. Bust. Um, here's your bust. Debo Samuel for the 49ers. Debo Samuel's been great. He's just been hurt this year. No, Debo. Debo's a good wide receiver. Where's the one from the Eagles? Uh, oh, A.J. Brown went ahead of him. I think you might could make that argument. D.J. running a crossing route over the middle could break it at any time and go to the house. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Arcega-Whiteside for the Eagles. Bust. He was picked ahead of D.K. Metcalf. Andy Isabella from UMass was picked of, for the Cardinals, was picked ahead of. So pretty much what this is telling me is that D.K. was the last pick of the second round. So everybody passed on him twice, the Seahawks, which took him in the second round. Are you kidding me? I mean, that just makes no sense. It didn't make any sense to me then. I still don't see it. Do you? Is there any justification for this? No, absolutely not. DK Metcalf, out of all the receivers that were taken in that draft, was easily the best. You could maybe, as a well, I could maybe as a biased South Carolina fan say Debo might be might be better. But in terms of raw talent and physical ability, and we see it translating now even into his route running, DK easily GMs should be fired over letting him slip that far. Completely agree. I mean, it's just atrocious. But do you want to know what else is atrocious? Blowing a 3-1 series lead. <laughs> Not going to argue that. So this 2018 Ole Miss football team, going off on a tangent. Quarterback with Jordan Tayamu. He's backing up Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. I mean, he's he's good enough to get to the show. I'm not going to say he's great, but yeah, well, you know, A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Dawson Knox, who was the starting tight end for the Buffalo Bills. Greg Little was left offensive tackle, which also went in the second round that year. Was also a big recruit. Yeah, that team went five and seven. Go figure. Yeah, why'd they lose so many games? They couldn't stop running water is why they couldn't win those games. Let's do a little bit. Let's give our predictions for some of these games for week number eight. We're almost halfway through the NFL season already. It sucks. It, it really it sucks. does. It does suck, but I'll tell you this. That means we've made it halfway through the year with no COVID. It's complete shutdowns for the, for the week, so I'll take it. Yep, that's a win. Starting out, Falcons versus Panthers. To me, taking the Panthers. Until the Falcons show me that they can actually win a game. I'm gonna keep picking against them. That's fair. I think I think Matt Rule has got these guys in Carolina playing. I think they're gonna be good. I think Teddy Bridgewater's kind of just I mean, he did it last year a little bit with the Saints, but he's really rejuvenated his career. I, I think the Panthers is a good pick. Yeah, he's not like he's not an elite quarterback, but he's good enough to make you competitive, maybe go nine and seven, sneak into the playoffs. And you're right, Matt Rule is showing that he's a really good coach. They're good. They play in a tough division, though. My goodness. Yeah, the Saints and the Buccaneers are kind of juggernauts. So next we have the Steelers versus the Ravens. I am pumped for this game. I can't wait. The Steelers are 6-0 and for the first time since 1978. You know, that great team that won the Super Bowl. What's crazy, too, and what's awesome to see is that the Steelers have actually implemented that old defensive scheme from the Steel Curtain and have modernized it where they drop a cornerback in Mike Hilton back to kind of serve as a hybrid defensive end, and that's why they call it Blitzburg. But that's the reason I bring up Mike Hilton. If he's out, that to me could be the difference maker in whether or not the Steelers win this game. 
People don't realize, if you're not a Steelers fan, that Mike Hilton is arguably one of the most important pieces to this defense. He has four sacks this year as a cornerback, and that's because he serves in a hybrid role, which allows Minka to do more ball hawking. This is a great matchup. What's up? I was just going to ask, where did Mike Hilton go to college? Ole Miss? He did. On that Landshark defense, baby. He's a great player, and he's been – he's. Besides maybe maybe Minka Fitzpatrick, he might be our best player in the secondary. And he's incredibly fast. And if you watch like Pittsburgh blitzes with him a lot, people don't realize how important he is to that defense. No doubt. Um I'm just just saying I'm pretty happy, obviously, when any old Miss player does well, but for a kid who didn't even get drafted to be a, a quote unquote star on that defense is pretty cool to see. I mean, I don't care where they went to college, right? I mean, it's kind of yeah. like Philip Lindsay and in Denver running the ball. He didn't get drafted. It's kind of cool to see him have success. Right. Well, and the thing is, he just he doesn't get the national attention from the media, but from me watching every Steelers game, I mean, he's he's such a pivotal piece to the defense, and if he's out, it's going to hurt us. So a little bit about this matchup. The, Steel- or the Ravens swept the Steelers last year, but I think that's kind of a wash because the Steelers had Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges as their quarterback. Still went eight and eight. Mike Tomlin's a great coach. But this is the Ravens are at home. There's not going to be as many fans there, so they don't really get the home field advantage. They started out as five and a half point favorites, which to me was absolutely ridiculous. The Steelers are six and zero, coming off a big win over the Tennessee Titans, who are easily a Super Bowl contender this year. And the Ravens get five and a half points. We've seen the line drop now to around three and a half, which I think is fair. This is going to be a field goal game. It always is in this series for the most part. Usually ends up being about a field goal game. It's really going to come down to how effective the Ravens can run the ball. I think if the Steelers go up big early, the Ravens, we haven't seen them have the ability to play from behind when Lamar Jackson just has to completely air the ball out. But if it's a close game and the Ravens are kind of dominating on time of possession, I believe that the Ravens will win. It's going to be, it's really going to be a nail biter. It's a toss up at this point. I'm going to have to take the Ravens just because they're at home. I mean, I think that's fair. I think that, uh, you know, it's hard. Even picking against my own team. I think I would actually lean the other way. I think Lamar Jackson is obviously the MVP last year, but man, I, I don't know. I think this Steelers defense is is it's different, uh, so to say. I think they'll be able to slow him down just enough. I'll take some of that three and a half. I'll take the Steelers. Yeah, they contained Derrick Henry last week. He had he got it going kind of in the fourth quarter when the defense was gassed, but for the most part, they stopped him behind the the line of scrimmage eight times last week. And they haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher in two seasons. So the defense is legit. They blitz more than any other team in the NFL. They led the league in sacks the last three years. I'm a little bit worried about how Big Ben played last week. So to me, that's really what it's going to come down to. And if I just think the Ravens will control time of possession. It's going to be one of those nail-biter games. And because they're at home, uh, I'm going to give them the advantage here and just say the Ravens win by a field goal. That's fair. Moving on, we have the Vikings versus the Packers. I'm tempted to take the Vikings. I really am because they've been playing a little bit better. I don't think they're as bad as their record indicates. 
and they have two really good receivers with Dillon and Justin Jefferson. Their defense is still banged up and underperforming. But call me a cheesehead. I'll take the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is playing well. It'll, we'll see if Aaron Jones comes back. He was hurt last week. We saw Devontae Adams go nuclear last week. Their offense is clicking. Green Bay is the smart pick here. I think you got to. I, I don't see, especially with that banged up Vikings defense, I don't see them slowing down Aaron Rodgers very much. So I think you got to go with him and the Packers for sure. Titans versus Bengals. I think the Titans come out mad. Mike Vrabel is going to have his team ready because they just lost a big game. You know, Steven Gotzkowski probably had to kick nothing but 46 yarders for three days in a row so that he doesn't shank another kick like that again. The Bengals are a better team than they were last year. Joe Burrow has them going in the right direction, but there's no way they're going to be able to hang or even remotely be able to stop Derek Henry. I think this is a pretty good week uh, for people like myself who happens to have Derek Henry on their fantasy team. I think he's going to be running mad. I think he's going to be running often. I'm going Titans. Jets versus Chiefs. Do we even really have to break this down? Adam Gay should be fired. The Jets are even worse than the Atlanta Falcons. They're the worst organization in professional sports. How they let Adam Gase continue to be their head coach is tragic. Them ruining Sam Darnold's career is also tragic. I'm taking the Chiefs. There's really not much else to say. 19 and a half point favorites. They're, uh, yeah, I mean, they're they're rolling. Um, they're going to cover, too. The Chiefs will cover. <laughs> A little side note on your worst uh, franchises in sports. You know, I was kind of looking at some stuff today, and I saw that they were talking about that Trevor Lawrence mentioned that he might come back to school. You kind of wonder if uh, he's thinking about pulling an Eli Manning and and saying, I'm not going to play for the Jets. I really think he has to. What a shame they've just done to Sam Darnold, man. He The kid's got a lot of talent, and they have just ruined him. I really hope for his sake he goes to Chicago or he goes to Chicago would be a great fit. They need a quarterback. I hope he goes to Chicago. I hope he goes to, I I mean, even Minnesota maybe with Kirk Cousins is kind of, you know, it's just, it's, it sucks, man. I think Darnold's got all the talent in the world, but man, they have just, when, when you're a quarterback, much less any professional athlete, when you lose your confidence, you're, you're done. So next game, Colts versus Lions, call it a hot take. But I'm taking the Lions to win this game. That comeback was huge. I think it will I think they'll continue to build off of that momentum. Matthew Stafford's a criminally underrated quarterback who's in a bad system. I think the Colts are a little bit overrated. Phillip Rivers is kind of washed up. He can't really move the ball that well. Jonathan Taylor's a good running back, but the Lions also have DeAndre Swift, who's been running the ball well. And they have a superstar wide receiver who's now back healthy in Kenny Galladay. Tight end TJ Hawkinson is having a stellar year this year. While I don't think Matt Patricia is a good coach, I think the Lions won this game. Yeah, I think so too. But I will say, anytime you come back against the Falcons, I don't think you should put that as a bragging <laughs> on your record. I think that just that's, that's fair. Beside. That's fair. But to be fair, he only had like 35 seconds, no timeouts on the clock. And still got Stafford, four. Stafford, Stafford's one of the best quarterbacks in the league in fourth quarter comebacks. He's good. He, he is certainly good. I, I just, again, I think that uh, 
Falcons have this bad habit of making everybody look like a Hall of Famer. So, I mean, they still got to win the game, and they did. But I, I don't know. I think I'll – Colts' defense has kind of been a little shakier than I thought it would this year. And, of course, Phillip Rivers is kind of getting a little older. I just I – just, I don't know. I just feel like the Lions always disappoint me. I'm going Colts. Okay. Rams versus Dolphins. This one's pretty easy. The Rams – Coming out party? Yeah, two coming out party. I don't agree with the move, though. I feel like the Dolphins should have let Ryan Fitzpatrick keep playing. He was putting up career year numbers. I know they were going to go to Tua at some point. It just doesn't seem like the right time when the team's won two games in a row and has actually looked really good. So we'll see how that kind of shifts the team energy. But overall, this one to me is easy. The Rams have one of the best head coaches with Sean McVay. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby. They have weapons all over the place. Aaron Donald on that defensive line. They're starting to roll. The Rams might even be the best team in the NFC West. We'll see. It's highly competitive because the Rams have a much better defense than Seattle. Russell Wilson is the best quarterback in the league at this point. However, their defense is a dumpster fire. So you can make the case that the Rams are the best team in the NFC West. The most complete team. I'm taking them to beat the Dolphins. I'll second that. Uh, I mean, um, they they've only played six games, so we we still got ten games to go to decide that division. It'll be played out on the field. But even though they're a game and a half, if if the 49ers can get healthy, I don't think them coming back and winning that division is a is a far fetched guess. Actually, they have the worst quarterback in in that division, though. That's what's going to hurt them. You take Jared Goff over Garoppolo. I would, yeah. I take Goff, I take Kyler Murray, and I would take Russell Wilson, obviously. Okay, that's fair. I think Russell Wilson's obviously the number one in that division. I think everybody else is just more of a toss-up, but okay, I can live with that. Next game, Patriots versus Bills. Call me crazy, but I'm taking the Pats. The Bills almost blew a game to the Jets. All they could do was kick field goals. They only put up 18 points against the Jets' defense. They've been trending in a bad direction for like the last three games. I think Cam Newton bounces back. Bill Belichick's not going to continue to let his team underperform the way that they have. I've taken the Patriots and an upset win. That's a bold pick. Historically, you'd be correct. Um, I just think the Bills are playing down to their competition, and which means they would play down this week too. Um, I, I think Josh Allen's good. He's got Stephon Diggs out there. Man, the Bills' defense is, is salty too. I, I, I'm taking Bills. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go one on one on that one. I'm taking the Bills. Okay. I just think Bill knows how to beat AFC East teams. He's done it his entire career. He'll have, he'll have a game plan ready. He'll find a way to minimize Josh Allen. Their secondary is still great, and I think Cam Newton can can bounce back. Not sold on Cam Newton for the rest of the year, but I think in this game, I'm taking the Pats. That's going to be the key. It's going to come down to Cam's play. Absolutely. Saints versus Bears, taking the Saints. I think the Bears are pretty overrated. Their quarterback situation is a nightmare, which sucks for Allen Robinson because he's a great wide receiver. David Montgomery, very mediocre running back. The Saints have Alvin Kamara, Jared Cook. Michael Thomas might be back. Their defense is decent, about middle of the road. But obviously you have Sean Payton as your head coach. Taking the Saints, they've looked a lot better lately. And Drew Brees is still Drew Brees. 
Yeah, uh, I think one thing to consider is Allen Robinson's in concussion protocol as of today, so I don't think that's going to help the Bears. Um, I, I think the Bears' offense just can't score. Man, they've just mm, – it's a mess. I'm going Saints. Okay. 49ers, Seahawks. This Game is a closed one. Right here. Over Steelers, Ravens? I don't know about that. Okay. I, I feel – a good one. It's a good I'll bet you. I'll bet you a dollar the final score of this game will be closer than the Steelers-Ravens will. I'll take that bet. You heard it this here is, first. This is an interesting matchup. The Seahawks are at home. Jimmy Garoppolo's had a really shaky year. Debo Samuel's hurt. Defense is still banged up. I'll take the Seahawks. Kyle Shanahan's a great coach, but they're just in a disadvantageous position right now. They are. I'm more betting on that the Seahawks will play down to their competition this week. I just don't think that they're gonna. I think they're gonna win, but I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a closer game than people say. Yeah, the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan is an offensive genius and can find a way to manufacture a running game with guys like Jeff Wilson. So they'll find a way to control time of possession, keep it close. But we're talking about Russell Wilson here and DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. I'm taking them to, to win the game. There you go. Next, we have Cowboys versus Eagles. I really don't even want to talk about this game because the NFC East is just that bad. It's going to be a complete snooze fest, but the Cowboys might be as bad as the Jets, which is really saying something. I'm taking the Eagles to win. I will say I don't think they're as bad as the record indicates. Carson Wentz has been playing a little bit better. Their receivers have been kind of banged up all year. When they get Alshon back, and if they get Deshaun back, they could start to make a little bit of damage with Miles Sanders coming back at running back. But the Eagles are the best team in the NFC East. It's really not saying much. I'll take them to win this game. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that they are better on defense than the Cowboys. They're healthier. Um, I will say that um, the Eagles are tied for the division lead with – actually, excuse me, they have a tie in there. So they have a half game lead on the Cowboys and the Washington football team. Um, but they're also two games away from having the first pick in the NFL draft. So that just goes to show you how bad that NFC East is. But um, tell me something. Do you think eight and eight runs away with that division this year? Oh, I think a team's going to finish six and 10 and go to the playoffs. I think a six and 10 team can win the NFC East this year. To be honest, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe seven and nine if the Eagles are lucky. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't yeah. even, I'm not even going to give them the privilege of going eight and eight at this last yeah. game. We have the Buccaneers versus the Giants. This one's easy. Taking the Buccaneers, the Giants can't seem to win a game. Even when we all thought they were going to finally scrape out their first win, beat the Eagles, Daniel Jones trips over himself. So, to me, they can't win a game. Taking the Buccaneers, the Bucks are rolling. Gronk is back. They have so many weapons on offense. Pretty solid running game. And their defense might be better than the Steelers even, which is saying something. Mm. Possibly. I think the Steelers are still better, but the Buccaneers have the second-best defense in the NFL. I don't think that Steelers offense is better than the Buccaneers offense, if that's what you're insinuating. No, we're just comparing defenses right now. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. No, for sure. This one's a this one is the stone cold lock of the the calendar year of 2020. There ain't no way that the Giants are going to beat the Buccaneers this week. No, zero. It would be a, it would be a great storyline if it happened. I would 
enjoy seeing it. So I think what we should do on calling my shot from now on is since I am obviously so much better of a picker than you, and I'm obviously so humble about it, I think we should start keeping a tally starting from week six, excuse me, week eight going on. That way I can show up. Yeah, we can do it in the college, too, just to show you who is the dominant picker. How about that? That's fine. I feel confident about all of my NFL picks this week. We'll add them all up at the end of the year, and the loser owes the other one a nice steak dinner. That's fine. We can can do that. Zach's trying to come in and throw a little bit of shade on his first ever podcast, but, you know, that's what he feels like he needs to do. That's fine. Look, I'm not – I know – you know your sports. You are very good. I just, you know – I'm I, yeah, I'm pretty confident in my picks, and, I, and I've I've got a good track record, so I'm willing to put it up against anybody. You were right about the NHL. I'll give you that. Speaking of which, puck me, Jack Johnson is going to decimate the New York Rangers. Just want to clarify that before we even get started talking about hockey. Let me clarify this: <laughs> the Rangers signed Jack Johnson on a one-year deal for one million dollars. Happiest day of my not- life. Happiest day of my life, let me tell you. I've never Jack, been so happy or elated about a move that Jim Rutherford has made until now. So Jack Johnson is going to mentor these young NCAA and minor league defensemen that the Rangers have got because they've got quite a few prospects in the system. He's going to mentor them. He's going to help mold them. Him and Brendan Smith are going to be looked at as mentors for these young guys. Mark Stahl's gone. I mean, they've got a couple guys. Adam Fox is really good. Tony D'Angelo, they just re-signed. Quality defenseman for the power play. You know, not going to be a shutdown defenseman, but um, they're going to really help mold these young guys. I'm not as – he ain't going to play 82 games on that right wing on that first defense pairing as much as you'd love that. It ain't happening. The only position he's going to play is ass back. As soon as he gets onto the ice, the coach is going to yell, Jack, get your ass back. Well done. That's about, that's about the only thing I see happening. The Rangers can have him. I'm happy he's out of my life. I'll say that. So let's do a, a, a brief Stanley Cup recap. You obviously were correct in picking the Lightning. I picked against them just because I hadn't seen them get over the hump yet. I had picked the Colorado Avalanche, who I still think could have won had their starting goaltender not got injured. They got kind of decimated with injuries throughout the playoffs, but kudos to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They finally proved that they could get it done. They still probably have the best roster in the NHL. It was it's good for Tampa. Man, they're just they're just loaded. You've got arguably the best goalie back there in Vasilevsky in the league. You've got the top defense core with obviously Victor Hedman winning the con Smythe. You've got um Oh, just a little unsung hero. And you know I'm a huge fanboy for Ryan McDonough. Uh, just the best shutdown defenseman in the league. Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, John Tavares, Claude Giroux, all of them will tell you the same thing. Um, you've got Shattenkirk was, Shattenkirk was solid on the pat um, the power play back there. Coburn, um, man, they, they were good. And then, my God, the forward depth is just amazing. you got Kucherov, you got Braden Point, you got Tyler Johnson. I mean, even with Stamkos hurt, man, these guys were just unbelievable. They score with the, they can outscore you. They can stop you from scoring. And Vasilevsky can shut you out. They didn't win the President's Trophy this year. 
um, which was probably a good thing because they obviously had the biggest letdown in, in history last year, losing to a wildcard team in the first round. But man, the, the, it, there's no, it's not like these guys got hot at the right time. They were just the best team. Now, Dallas, on the other hand, has got some really good players. They, they got hot me. at the right they, time. They, yeah. they surprised me. I had, I gave them zero chance of making it to the Stanley Cup final. The run kind of came out of nowhere, but it's great for Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan. They finally can get some of the shame that's been thrown towards them away. They kind of, you know, bolstered their careers a little bit by making that run. So it was good to see Anton Kadobin definitely overexceeded my expectations that I had for him and kind of had me rethink what he was as a goaltender. That's one of the beautiful things about hockey that I love. An eight seed can have a hot goalie. Los Angeles did it twice. Jonathan yep. Quick, just you just get a hot goalie against, man against the Rangers too, and you just it, it's cool they can beat anybody. I mean, let's be real, basketball, you're not going to have any eight seeds beating one seeds. Football, I mean, you're going to have a couple of wild card teams win the Super Bowl, yeah, but just not to the extent of eight teams running the table in hockey. Baseball, it can happen same way, but but man, it's just it's just cool to watch these guys who a team, so to speak, like the Blue Jackets, man, they weren't didn't look like they were going to make the playoffs, and then they just kicked it into high gear. Even though they didn't beat the Lightning, they still gave them hell. I mean, it's just it's one of the things that makes hockey beautiful. Ice Madness was definitely a success this year. I love the – I thought overall in handling COVID and the playoff format that Gary Bettman, as much as I hate him, implemented was fantastic. The hockey was very entertaining. I loved watching it. The round robin was interesting. It was honestly a shit show, but it was great, and it was highly entertaining. They did everything they could right. Um, I will say it was a little weird watching it without fans. It was almost kind of like watching it as a video game. It almost kind of felt artificial, but, man, you couldn't do it. It's not like they could have fans anyways. I thought they did a really good job, uh, and, and and they made it. You know, They made it. So with all this talk about the Lightning, do you think that they're starting a dynasty now? Can, um, we make, can we make that conversation, or do you need to see them win another one first? Oh, they're for sure going to have to win another one for that conversation to be even going. I think that the East has such a big power surge going on right now, big power flip. I mean, you got the Islanders who are having some cap trouble, but they're going to be – they're not going anywhere. As much as I despise the Islanders, they're not going anywhere. Philly is going to be good. Carter Hart's going to be good. The Capitals are still good. They're obviously getting a little older. The Penguins, you're getting older, but your window's about that much open, but it's still there. And the yeah, Rangers. I don't have high hopes. With all this I talent. I, I'm, I'm not saying they will, but it would not surprise me if they just got hot and won one more cup. I'm talking about the Penguins. That's all I'm saying. But I'm happen, just saying. Highly unlikely. I, I just don't – and, of course, Boston's really good. I just don't see Tampa dominating for the next five years. I think that they're going to be really good for the next two or three. But then I think as some of these guys start to get a little older, start to get a little more wear on the tires. I mean, Stamkos, man, he – I just – I mean, he just doesn't look like he could play another full year. He looks like he's only going to be ready for about 30 games. And and, uh, obviously Kucherov's going to be good. But I I just don't think they're – one, they're going to be able to pay all these guys. And two, they're going to be able to keep them healthy to have a true blown dynasty. If they win three cups in the next five years, yeah, you got a dynasty. But I just uh, don't see it. 
Yeah, that's the other thing to consider is not every franchise can be the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know. <laughs> many have tried, many have failed. I mean, the Blackhawks won three in five years. I mean, that's pretty good. They did. They had their time. They had their time. <laughs> Since the Penguins, we haven't seen it yet. So let's move on and talk a little bit about the NHL draft. Overall, who do you think had the best draft and who do you think now, who are some of the key players that will look to make immediate impacts for franchises? You're going to call me biased, but the Rangers winning the draft lottery was huge. They got Capo Caco last year with the second overall pick behind uh, Mr. Hughes with New Jersey. But, uh, man, us getting Alexis Lafreniere is going to be big. He's supposed to be a big generational player, not to the level of Crosby or – That's the comparisons, um, though. That's the comparison. McKinnon. Yeah, I think he's going to be really good, and I think he's going to have a chance to win the Calder right away. But, I mean, I mean, it's just – I don't know. I, I think he's going to start as an 18-year-old, which is going to be pretty good. Um, uh, the Quentin Byfield for the Kings, big, gritty, physical kid, huge. He's going to be in the Anze Kopitar mold. And, by the way, he's going to get to play with Anze Kopitar. Um, I'm not – I'm obviously cherry-picking here going off the top, but I think it's fair. I mean, you're going to have some of these guys, you know, you go down and, and see, like Lucas Raymond for the Red Wings is a really good forward. Um, Alexander Holtz for New Jersey, probably one of you, down the line, one of your uh, Nordic cousins or something. It's going to be really good. It's just going to play off. How about how about another and, – and the kid from Germany, pardon me if I, if I screw it up, Tim Stutzel is going to the Senators. I mean – Best name uh, in the draft so far. Stutzel. Stutzel. <laughs> Stutzel. I mean, it, it's, yeah. He's German. I mean, there's going to be a lot of good players. I've heard a lot about this uh, Hendrix Lapierre that's going to the uh, Capitals. He's a really highly rated prospect. Got hurt, had some injury troubles, kind of fell down. But he's supposed to be really good. So, man, I'm, I'm excited, man. It, it Just looking at this stuff kind of really gets you going and, and really wanting to see what these guys can do, help your right. team out. So, As much as it pains me and agonizes me to admit this, the Rangers drafting Brent Snyder – with I think the 19th pick was to me a very underrated move. And to me, they got kind of the steal of the draft. I feel like a lot of teams let him slip. You'll see Zach. He's going to be a hell of a player. I agree with you and I hate this, but I do think the Rangers have the best draft. Yes, obviously biased and it never hurts to have the first round first selection. But um, the Rangers are coming. I'm just telling you. They've got – obviously, they're going to have Alexi Lafreniere. They're going to have Capo Caco. Um, they've got a young kid named Vitaly Kratsov in the system who's supposed to be one of the best Russian players in quite some time. Our I mean, Timmy you, Panarin. Our Timmy Panarin. You throw Mika Zibanejad on there. You throw Chris Kreider with some veteran leadership. Man, they're going to be good. They're going to be really good. I mean – and and that's not even mentioning uh, Philip Heedle, who was, I think, the 21st or 22nd pick a couple years ago. They did trade Leas Anderson uh, to the Kings for a second-round pick, who was their seventh overall selection a couple years ago. He had some he had some attitude problems, but I, I wish the guy well. Um, he just didn't fit in with the culture. He had actually gone back to Sweden and refused to come back. So um, I wish him well, but uh, – how do you feel about you know, Lundqvist? How do you feel about Lundqvist going to the Capitals? Do you think that your young goaltenders will be able to really step into that role? Because obviously, I mean, Lundqvist is 
obviously a Hall of Famer, and those are some huge shoes to fill. Long live the king. Loved him, but it was time. He was making $8 million. He played behind Alexander Gorgiev all last year in the big games. I mean, he would start – Lundquist would start against like Ottawa and and Florida, and then Gorgiev would go in there against Pittsburgh and Toronto and these Washington, the big games. And then this year with the emergence of Igor Shesterkin, man, with the emergence of Igor Shesterkin, man, him and Georgiev are going to be good for a long time, and you can't have your third best goalie on your team making eight million dollars. I mean, did, do I like that he went to the Caps? No, I, I I don't. I wish he would have went to St. Louis or somewhere to give him another chance at a cup. And not saying he doesn't have one with Washington, but I mean, it was time. I, I wish him the best, but man, sometimes you just got to say, "Hey, it's been fun." Right. So let's talk a little bit about the free agency so far been pretty crazy there's been a lot of huge moves one of the notable ones i want to talk about taylor hall to the sabers it's crazy because arizona actually invested a lot into him and then they just dealt him that fast but how do you think that hall will play with jack eichel i think it's a good move for the sabers overall should help them they needed more scoring depth so it should be should help their roster overall it is taylor hall is a really good player he obviously uh, won the Hart Trophy a few years ago. Man, he's 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 good. Eichel, Buffalo's a black hole. They ain't winning there. Jack Eichel, the rumor was he wanted to trade out of there um, during the offseason. I, I just don't think that – I don't know what it is, man. They just can't seem to get right. I mean, they've had talent with, with uh, Ristolainen and, uh, you know, Eichel. Anyways, I think I think Buffalo's got a long ways to go. Um, even with Taylor Hall coming in there, they got they got to get some going. Man, they just can't seem to get it right. Agreed. So Jacob Markstrom gets paid by the Flames. To me, the Flames have had one of the best free agencies so far. They needed a solid goaltender. They're paying them six million a year, which is pretty good for an above average goaltender, maybe even elite, depending on the day. Thought it was a really good move. Yeah. No doubt. I think uh, I think Calgary needs a little bit of depth back there in net. Man, they've obviously got a bunch of young, good, talented forwards and stuff with, with Johnny Gaudreau and those guys, and I think it'll be good to have some veteran presence in there. Yeah, they also got Tanev, too, which is another that'll help solidify their defense. See, this Yen Mark went to the Blackhawks. Pretty solid defenseman. I think he will help the Blackhawks get a little bit of youth back in there. Pretty good move on their part. Yeah, they need to eject some youth big time. Um, man, the the days of those three cups were long past. It's time to, you know, you hate up. it. They it's did. They did. But, I mean, they, they're just killing time. They're not going to win a cup with that roster. They got to make some changes. Don't you agree? Yeah, I think, I think they kind of got to blow it up. Play for a draft pick this year and just start building for the future. Also, Matt Murray, and I absolutely hate this move. Went to the Senators. Terrible move by the Penguins. Great move by the Senators. I don't know why the Penguins decided to give up on Matt Murray. We saw Jari have one good year, but Matt Murray also helped the Penguins win two Stanley Cups. I'm questioning this move by Jim Rutherford. They feel like it's the right thing to do. We'll see. I think Matt Murray is going to be a star for Ottawa. I think that's fair. I think Rutherford's had his fair share of home runs, and he's also had his fair share of strikeouts. Murray's 
when he's on, he's as good as anybody. I, I didn't really like or understand the move, but I think Murray lost a little bit of his confidence, his swagger. So if he can get it back, obviously it's going to be tough in Ottawa. But man, they get some good play in front of him, man. He can he can get his swag back, and he can be Matt Murray again. So he's still one of the most clutch playoff goalies. In the no league. doubt. Whenever the Rangers played Mark Andre Fleury, I was always happy because I know they had a chance because he let in bad goals. But man, Matt Murray just never let anything bad in. Yeah, it sucks. But I guess it is what it is, and let's just hope that Jari will pan out. I'm not too confident about it. Another big move, Alex Petrangelo goes to the Vegas Golden Knights. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes up their team chemistry, but Vegas is on fire. I mean, it's ridiculous. They're an expansion team, and they're like one of the juggernauts of the league. It's insane. It's, yeah, hopefully. It blows my mind. Hopefully when the Kraken come in in a year or two, they will really make changes because they yeah. gave – it's one thing to start out for Vegas with no talent like the Houston Texans did years and years ago in 05 or whatever. But, man, they had draft picks. They had top picks of players. They had everything, man. They they went a little too far. Vegas is stacked, and they are not going anywhere. You know, I'm all for – I want to make the team competitive for the new expansion teams, but, man, you can't take them. You just can't take them from they're, ground they're up. ridiculous. To, yeah, I mean, you can't protect – they the protection rules that they had, you can't protect everybody. I mean, my goodness, you gave – you gave up with Pittsburgh, a guy who had been there was a first-round draft pick many years ago. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury. It was yeah. ridiculous. And the crazy – Vegas is probably the best team in the Western Conference now that they have Alex Petrangelo. Great move on their part. Their defense was already stacked. He's going to be playing with Theodore and the boys. Their Agreed. defense is only only getting better. It's scary. Agreed. Two quick ones here I saw actually today. Alex Galchenyuk went to the Senators. The Sens are that? making some. The Sens are making some moves. I think with uh, him and with Matt Murray, they trade uh, Borowitzki. Their their best defenseman went to the Predators, but other than that, the Senators look like they're having a pretty good offseason. I, I think so too. I think that they uh, they're going to have to get some of these young teams and and going. You know, um, get these young get these young guys and going. They need a little mix of grit, a little mix of youth, and I think they're going to be fine. And uh, the other one I was going to ask you about was uh, Tyson Berry to the Oilers. Do you think that's going to rejuvenate his career playing with Oliver Clefboom back there? Oscar Clefboom. It it could help. Clefboom's obviously a hell of a player, and the Oilers definitely need more depth on the defensive line. So we'll see. Edmonton's definitely trending in the right direction. I think being surrounded by guys like Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid should help anyone, you would think and hope. Yeah, for sure. Then we also have Tory Krug going to the Blues. So they ditch Petrangelo, but they get Tory Krug. I still feel like they lost, and their defense definitely is worse now. Don't get me wrong, Tory Krug is a great player, but he's not Petrangelo. No, no. He's uh, probably a little bit better offensively, but a major step down defensively. And, you know, they had to replace him somehow after losing Petrangelo, but – uh you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I really thought that uh, that the Blues would make a play to get Shattenkirk back, but they didn't. They let him walk to Anaheim. So we'll see what the Blues decide to do. Maybe they've got some young prospects in there that will help them out. It could be, and they still have a lot of depth. I expect the Blues to be good this year. So the Blues let Jake Allen go to Montreal. 
So they're they're sticking with their guns. They still have a lot of depth. But I do think Jake Allen kind of saved them last year, to be honest with you. No doubt. They were banged up most of the year and were still right there in a playoff spot. Um, you know, I, I still think – I mean, Bennington was on fire before the shutdown. I, I still yeah, wouldn't really have just really- yet. He was really bad in the playoffs, though. For sure, no doubt, no doubt. But but I'm just saying he was pretty good before the shutdown. I, I wouldn't write him off just yet. Let's see what he does in year three, and and uh, before we just dismiss him. So overall, just judging off the brief moves that you've seen so far, who would you say the most improved team is in the NHL? I would start with Vancouver. Braden Holtby is going to be good. Um, throw him in you there. Think, you think that you think that's an upgrade over Markstrom? Yes. I I personally do because you got the young rookie and you got the young kid and Demko in there and Holtby. Man, Vancouver's good. You got JT Miller. You got Elias Peterson. You got those young kids in there. They're going to be tough. I think that they're going to be your best Canadian team for a little while. The other most improved team, I I would probably, I would probably go Ottawa. Just are they going to be competitive for a playoff spot? No, but from where they were to where they are now, I think that they've made a pretty good jump. Agreed. What about you? I'm going to take a little bit of a flyer here, and I'm going to say Detroit. The reason why, they just signed Nemesnikov from Colorado, great forward, and they also signed Thomas Grice, who is a very underrated goaltender, and I think he is a huge upgrade over Jimmy Howard. They're looking better. Detroit played a lot better last year. They're trending in the right direction, and I think these two moves might be the difference maker for them. Okay, yeah. So that being said, we had a very action-packed show. That kind of wraps it up for this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Stay tuned for more killer content. All right, guys. Take care.